Well, good morning to you, Joel Wayne. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to have you with us. Um, I tell you, I get to uh, jump into a sermon, a message today that I think is so important for all of us. Before I, I do that, anybody else here in the room, I'm one of those guys, before a certain event is happening, I have to have, like the night before, I have to lay my clothes out, and I have to get everything just right, get it all ready. So to me, obviously, um, Sunday mornings are pretty important with preaching to me. That's a, a big time. And so Saturday nights, I don't like to do much after about 7 or 8, sometimes even 4 or 5. Like I start losing my thinking. Friends will be like, let's go to dinner. I'm like, I really don't want to. I love you, but I'm just, I'm in a different place. And I've got to get my clothes ready, and I've got to get everything else going. Anybody else like that? Anybody? Like, anybody? Like, really? Nobody else? You're all procrastinators is what you're telling me. I was a guy, even in school, um, wasn't the most bright guy, um, but I would overly prepare, especially like the first week. By the time you actually had your first class, I would have read the first chapter of the book usually already, just to be ready. Like, anybody? Okay, awesome. Um, Nobody relates to me at all. Last night, I was trying to find my charger because I, I... I'm preaching just, I just grab a Bible, right, and um, I lose these a good bit, so I have several just like this that I grab, and that's sad. Um, and then I have an iPad I'm using because here's the beauty of the iPad over paper is enlarged font. Anybody else? Amen. Um, it's, it's great. I was still going to start printing out, but when you're at 36 font, it takes like 87 pages. So... Um, it's wonderful to use, and I always want it charged the night before, and I could not charge my, uh, find my charger. And immediately, I have kids, so I'm wanting to blame the children. Until I recognize that none of their electronical devices actually use this type of charger, so I'm glad I didn't go down that road. I looked everywhere for this thing. Um, it was late last night. I had to return on all the lights. I'm, I'm looking all over. So my plan was just to come in early this morning and take Pastor Luke's charger. Um, and just to use that, this morning, 6.15, I'm downstairs after getting dressed. I finally, I go to the kitchen. My iPad is sitting right on the island, right there. And I turn around, and within four feet, guess what I find? The charger. All right? Um, I started hearing the hallelujah chorus. Um, all types of things happen. Here's the reason I tell you that story is this. When it comes to today's topic, I'm preaching on biblical sexuality uh, again, and I'm addressing lust, and I'm addressing uh, pornography, and all types of things that are taking place in today's world. Um, So much of our energy is trying to figure things out, and while we claim to see Jesus right there, we're actually not truly utilizing him or his word, and it's right there. But we're not truly plugging in to what he is instructing and what he's guiding for us and how we should be living according to his truth. It's right there, but we don't fully engage it. And the thing is, I can use this. This has the keypad and everything that comes with it, right? And I can use it for all types of things. And roughly for probably the majority of a day, the battery is good. But in time, it will run out of energy. And I think that's, that's part of what's happened for us in today's world. Even as believers, even as the church, 
we have ran out of energy and direction of what to do when it comes to sexuality because we're not truly living according to his word and his ways. And it gets tiresome. It gets wearisome. It gets to be this thing where we're so frustrated with even fighting it, we think that it must be okay, and so then we give in to it. That's why today, after last week, I was able to preach on biblical sexuality. Today, I'm focusing on some things that everybody can truly relate to, and it's looking at lust and pornography and even just referencing sex trafficking and, and lust, all these different things, because it's all related. If you don't think it's related, trust me, it is. The sex trafficking is enormous in the world today, involving millions upon millions of people, and is funded and directly linked to the use of pornography and what's taking place. We know this to be true. And so we have major issues that we have to be able to speak about. I'm not going to give you a lot of stats, but I'm going to give you a few. It might be some fun things for you to write down. Um, just to give you some understanding, a lot of this comes, uh, some of the things I want to share with you from Josh McGowell Ministries, but also the Barna Group. There's other places. You can go to National. The government has websites on all the, uh, the prostitution and the sex trafficking and the pornography that's taking place and how it's impacting people. So it really doesn't matter if it's affiliated with a religious institution or not. Um, the numbers are pretty much identical. It's, it's scary what's taking place. Talking about that um, and just the sex trafficking, uh, Michigan is known to be a state where there's a ton because of the lakes and the systems around here. Um, there's a lot of sex trafficking that is brought through Michigan. The average sex trafficker earns roughly 20 times what they, get, what they actually end up paying for a girl. So whatever they go and they pay a family to say, hey, we want to use this child um, to go make some living for you guys. She can send money back. That's how they sell it. And they take these girls um, because the family just needs money. And then they make roughly 20 times whatever they've paid for that girl. It is completely fueled in many, many ways by the pornography industry. We know that we're being, as I said last week, bombarded by sexual temptation everywhere we look. Whether it be homosexual sin or heterosexual sin, it's all there and we're looking at it, we're going, what's happening? And so often what's uh, taking place within the church is that we're walking around with giant planks in our own eyes while we're looking and judging at the world. We know that over one quarter of young adults today, 27% is the actual number of young adults today between the ages of 25 and 30, they first viewed pornography before they even hit puberty. So think about it. We have nearly 500 kids, fifth grade and under, within this ministry. That's a lot of kids, right? That means over 125 of them saw pornography for the very first time before they even hit puberty, which means they have access to it, which also means that we are allowing for it in some way, form, or fashion. By the way, did I, did I mention if you're new here, this isn't normal? I don't always jump into biblical sexuality. Um, I've never been so grateful in a couple of weeks to preach on money. But this stuff is so important for us, and we want us to wake up because here's what's happening, is that the use of pornography and lust and the sex trafficking stuff and everything else and all the, the adultery and the sin that comes with sexual orientation, all of these things, it is decaying so much of our world, but yet we know what the real problem is. The real problem isn't all those things that I just listed. Or not, the real problem isn't pride or idolatry or anything else. The real problem is what? Sin. 
That's why we spoke last week, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. That's why I grabbed these boards and I wrote down for us last week these two different things. We know that we all see life through one of these two lenses. And both of these lenses are actually good. But there is an order to these things. And we are to allow a biblical or a theological view to determine how we view things relationally or emotionally. One is never changing. It is steadfast. It is foundational. The other one is changing. It's shifting. It's like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And now what we have done is we've reversed. We've flipped. And we've said, you know what? We want our emotional view, the way we feel, what we desire, our relational view. Well, I have a friend who they want to do this, and you can't say that that's really wrong. And so we want this to determine our view of God. And so as a result of that, we're confused about who God is because we think God is here just to do what we want. Rather than allowing God to determine what our emotional or relational views will be. And it's hard. But of young adults today, one out of 20, one out of 20, this is the number, one out of 20 will not tell their friends that if they are viewing pornography that it's wrong. Think of that. Only one out of 20 think that their friends viewing pornography is a bad thing. And yet we know it leads to a decay of so much in our life. Some more stats for you just to help you understand the significance of this. Half of young adults, nearly half of young adults today, come across porn at least once a week, even when they aren't looking for it. Every second, every second, 28,000 and plus hundreds, so nearly 29,000 people are viewing pornography on the internet. Every second, 29,000 almost. Every day, 37 pornographic videos are created in the United States. Every day, new videos. Just keep putting them out. Every day, 2.5 billion emails containing porn are sent or received. 2.5 billion emails a day. That's what's happening in our world. Right? And this comes down, I spoke about the, the loneliness epidemic that we have. This was back in August. And, and speaking about that, I spoke about technology and everything else. That's why before you put the technology in somebody's hands, please recognize what it is leading to. But these are results. This is, these are the results of lust and pornography that are happening that have been proven so far. You ready for this? One. Teenagers are twice as likely to have children out of wedlock as teenagers when they've been exposed to sexual content on TV or the internet. Twice as likely. Another thing that's been proven is that it, act, it hinders sexual development. Pornography viewing by teens disorients them. And I spoke last week about what this 
what so many things are doing. Sin, it disorders our heart and it disorients our thoughts. And so that's what pornography is doing in the world today. What's taking place is that pornography uh, being viewed by teens is disorienting them during the developmental phase when they have to learn how to handle their own sexuality and when they're most vulnerable to uncertainty about their sexual beliefs and their moral values. And it's shifting that primarily amongst women. One of the things that's always assumed is the men who struggle the most. And it used to be 90%. Now over one-third of users and people struggling are women. So this used to be something we would speak about to a men's conference because you, you ladies don't need to worry about it, right? You don't struggle with this stuff. It's actually becoming more and more of an issue with women. Within 10 years, the numbers will be even closer, very, very close to even. And here's the primary reason why is because now ladies are looking at this and it's actually triggering identity issues for them going, well, why am I not like that? And there's a draw and there's all these different things that are taking place. Pornography is linked to all of this. And yet so many of us are struggling with lust and pornography and what to do with it. We know that it leads to understanding of what your gender is and all these different things that come to take place and to homosexuality because we're trying to figure things out. It's also proven to lead to the risk of loneliness that I mentioned before, but also it leads to severe, if not major depression, even suicidal thoughts. Why? Because of those 37 videos that are being made every day in the United States, you began to compare yourself, and you recognize you can't win. And so you go down more and more of a spiral. But I want to show you, it's on your notes, but I want to pull up a cycle that we go on that we need to view. This is kind of what happens. I work with uh, different people here at the church, but also I looked at resources that are um, both um, Christian in nature, but also non-Christian. It doesn't matter what it is. They all communicate the same type of thing, okay? Um, what happens is we have a temptation. We have something in our life. You can replace that temptation with about anything you want. It can be eating, right? If you're, if you're like me, I start a diet every morning. And I do, and I do great until about 8 a.m. Um, and no, I do great until evening. Like, evenings are just hard for me, and maybe because I don't eat enough during the day, I don't know what it is. And so you can replace this with anything that you want. And so I have to really, I'm always aware of that because gluttony is a sin as well. And so you have this temptation, right? And so we talk about that sexual temptation and this desire to look at pornography, and you have a choice to make in that moment. In that moment, you have a choice to make. And if you choose the wrong thing, that's called giving in to that temptation. Even Jesus was tempted, guys. We know that Jesus was tempted. But he had to make, because he was both fully human and fully divine, right? He had to make a decision in the midst of that. And the choice that he made, right, was obviously leaning toward the Father. And he walked into that. And he didn't give in to the temptation, even as he began his messianic ministry, right? Matthew chapter 4, there he is. Satan is tempting him. As soon as he begins the Messianic ministry, this is before the Sermon on the Mount, and the, the, his Messianic ministry just takes off. And so there's a choice that you have to then make. And it's with anything. It doesn't matter if it's drinking, smoking. It doesn't matter what it is. You have to make a choice. And if you choose your own thing, it's sin. And then this thing happens where there's this guilt and this shame that comes with it. Because everything that we're talking about, none of it actually proves to give lasting fulfillment. 
And so then as a result, what do you have to do? You create a habit because you have to go back to it. And you start going down this cycle, right? And you're now in bondage to whatever that is because you just keep doing it over and over and over and over again. My daughter has this hamster. I had no idea when I bought my daughter a hamster that they were nocturnal. And she bought this will. I'm having hamster for lunch, friends. Middle of the night, I'm like, what is that noise? What is, what is that noise? Who's, nobody snores like that. And it's that blasted hamster running away, little feet. <laughs> Go back to this image if you would. Some of you feel like that when it comes to pornography, lust, gluttony, any of it. And you feel like you just keep, you're in this cycle and you can't get off of it. You can't get off of it. But what we need to do is once we, once we start to understand the freedom that is in Christ, that's what happens. Once we go, you know what, I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to choose Jesus. And I'm going to talk about how we do that in a second. But if I can just do this, we can break that cycle. And then we experience the blue, right? We experience the gospel. We experience the freedom that comes with Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to be able to do is we want to break the cycle. Knowing that it's a struggle for us. And we do that by understanding. Remember, we're asking everybody to memorize Isaiah chapter 55, 7, and 8, um, and 9. Um, primarily 8 and 9. We're looking at this, Isaiah 55. And it talks about how his ways are greater than our ways. His thoughts are, are greater than our own. And we go, oh, is that what we're doing? Do we acknowledge that? Because, guys, if you just look at the results of what's happening, you have to recognize it's broken. Where they say we're going to be in 10 years of society, guys, um, polygamy, everything else, all these things are prevalent, and they're going to be more prevalent than ever before. In fact, our culture will actually accept it. Why? Because we won't tell anybody that they're wrong for anything. We've had nearly 10,000 views of the sermon from last week. We don't have 10,000 people who go to this church, if you haven't noticed. Because people are wondering, but guess what? We've had fewer shares than ever before. So either it was a horrible sermon, very possible, or we're afraid to let people know where we actually stand on these issues. And yet it's only getting worse and worse and worse. So I want to talk to you some about some sexual sin. And again, um, if you are new here, I've been telling people the whole time, we've been letting them know what weeks we're covering this. I know that some of you, you don't want certain children to be here for this topic, but I would tell you as a parent, it is always better to, to teach rather than to correct, and they are talking about it. I tell people seven, eight years old or so and up, they, they're already hearing it, so let's recognize that and have the conversation. What I've learned is I can have a conversation with my kids about anything. And I've got kids ranging from 8 to 15, 8, 10, 13, 15. I think the reason I can have conversations with my 15 and my 13-year-old is because I started having conversations with them young. So I never had that awkward, like, okay, this is going to be the first time, and they're already a teenager. What do I do? It makes it a lot easier. Let me talk to you about some things when it comes to sexual sin. Um, one of the things that's happening with young people today, and I, need to, I want to be very clear about this, um, the, 
more and more teenagers today, fewer are having actually sex outside of marriage. You want to know why? They're going to pornography online, on the internet. But also, what's also that they are skewing the measuring stick because what they're saying is that, well, oral sex isn't sex, so they don't count that. Oral sex is sex. Let me hear, you need to hear this. Oral sex is sex. Okay? You need to hear it. Guys, we're, we're going down. Marriages are crumbling. The family as we know it is crumbling. My 10-year-old daughter hears these conversations on her bus. So you need to recognize that. Also, you need to know that if you are married, I'm going to get into some more of these as well as I go through uh, the message today, but no one and nothing else should ever be in your bed other than your spouse, period. I mentioned this stuff before about polygamy and all these different things. You have to recognize that it's from Genesis on. We have example after example. We have word after word that says, listen, it is between a man and a woman. Ordained by God, there is a covenant that is there. We also know that the two most intimate things, I've preached this for years and years and years, the two most intimate things in life are sexuality and spirituality. The two are linked. The two are linked. One is a reflection of the other in many ways. Uh, Paul Tripp, who, T-R-I-P-P, he is an author, and one of the things he wrote about this, he says, your relationship to your own sexuality and the sexuality of others always reveals your heart. Your sexual, why? Because it's about preferences, right? It's, it's about your desire, It's always a reflection of your heart. Your sexual life is always an expression of what you truly worship. Sex is deeply religious. In sex, you're either self-consciously submitting to God or you're setting yourself up as God. In other words, sex is never simply a horizontal thing. Sex Sex always connects you to the God who created your body, gave you eyes to see, and a heart that desires. Daniel Hembach, he, he wrote a book, True Sexual Morality. And in that book, uh, he gave different attributes of what God's design is for marriage. I want to hit these real quick. Um, and you see them there, just fill in the blank. And I know that I'm going to go quickly, but you'll better keep up. One, you need to understand this because a lot of it is what, uh, part of the struggle and the strife that we're having is sex within the marriages today are so, such a struggle. Um, and we need to even... Talk about that. We need to learn from what the Word of God is teaching us. One of the things that we need to know about sex in marriage is that sex is relational. Sex is relational. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. It is deeply relational. Another thing that we recognize is that sex is covenantal. Right? In order to have a covenant, that's before God When you have a covenant that is with God and God is stepping in and he is ordaining something and he's saying, yes, this is what I desire. Um, I I mentioned it last week. I can't 
encourage you enough, Proverbs 5, 15 and following, read that and make sure you explore what that's really teaching us. Proverbs chapter 5. So sex is relational, but it's also covenantal. It's a covenant that you form before God himself. Third, sex is intimate because it's both physical and spiritual. And the spiritual life cannot be disconnected from the physical life. The spiritual life cannot be disconnected from the physical life. So yes, sex is intimate. And you're going, well, that's obvious. No, for many people, there's a disconnect. It is only about fulfilling a, a bodily desire. And it's actually not intimate. And they keep it not being intimate so that they can fulfill the needs of fulfillment that they want for other people and find that they think that that's identity for themselves. There are different ways to be able to look at that and to be able to consider that. So we know that sex is intimate as well. Uh, fourthly, sex is selfless. Sex is selfless, not self-centered. If you really want to go further with a family member uh, and they're struggling with this or with a friend, I'm going to tell you every time, uh, you need to recognize the fall that took place in Genesis 1 through 11. You also need to then be able to go to Leviticus chapter 18 when it comes to sexual identity and what God's desire is for sex and our relationship with sex. Leviticus 18, also 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 6 and chapter 7. And then Romans chapter 1. Those are places to start where Scripture is so clear for us to be able to speak about and to learn about. And one of the things that we learn in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, and I want to go there right now, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. It lets us know that sex is selfless. It speaks about, hey, this is what is is good and bad. Each man should leave his own wife, uh, should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband for the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does. This is all talking about now as a covenant before God the two shall become one. That's what this is referring to. And now sex is selfless. It's not self-centered. You want to give yourself to your spouse but hear me say this. Even in the confines of marriage there are some no's when it comes to your sexual relationship. One, nothing that is happening between your spouse should do anything to have her to question her own, her own conscience or his own conscience. If it violates the other person's own conscience, it's simply a no. The other thing that you have to recognize is if it's degrading to the other person, even if it's the other person who thinks that you're asking them to participate in anything that is degrading to who they are, the answer is no. Why? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you now want to elevate them and put them first, yes? So please hear me say this. Because there's sometimes that we know we're raised in different ways. You marry someone, they have thoughts of what sex and marriage is going to be, and other people have thoughts of what it's going to be, and it's going to be conflicting. And I'm telling you now, it should never be degrading to the other. It should never cause the other one to question their own conscience whatsoever. Why? Because sex is selfless, not self-centered. Finally, the fifth thing he speaks, one of the, one of the things he talks about, because he speaks about so much, is that sex is complementary. Leviticus 18, I referenced that earlier. Leviticus 18, 22. There's man and woman designed to fit one another. We see that physically. We see that in other ways. God designed it as such. 
what this really leads to, it, it helps us to understand a definition of what a healthy sex life is. A healthy sex life is a selfless expression of love bound in a covenant before God. A healthy sex life is a selfless, selfless, right, expression of love bound in a covenant before God. And that's what we want. That's what we want to strive to model and to, to make sure that we're letting people understand that any marriage, if it's healthy, is about being selfless and putting the other first. Now, it doesn't remove the fact that there's a lot of temptation that's happening in our world today. So much temptation. And so I love what Pastor Luke was saying before, even the resources that we're trying to give to people. And we want to give you a few resources and thoughts to think about even right now in terms of how do we handle the temptation that exists so prevalently in the world today. It's so prevalent in every single regard. One, this is what I'd like you to do, and just fill in the blanks if you would. We're inviting you. We're asking, find fulfillment in Christ. Find fulfillment in Christ. I know that for some of you, you think you can do it on your own. You think, if I just try hard enough, and if I just work hard enough at it, I don't, I'm not going to go back, and you're not going to be in that cycle, that hamster wheel. What I'm saying is very, 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 very few people can do it by themselves. You will fail, and you'll keep coming back over and over and over again. You cannot do it alone. And what I'd like to tell you, when I ask you to find fulfillment in Christ, I'm letting you know that there is greater pleasure in knowing Jesus. Fight for the greater pleasure. Fight for the joy. And this is something that I've had to work on in my own life, and what I've recognized is that the joy in Christ is so much greater than the cheap fulfillment of any other sexual thing that is out there. There's a joy and there's a fulfillment in Christ that can walk you through every temptation and every desire. And yes, you have to monitor it and you have to work with it and there are ways to do it. We need to find fulfillment in Christ. One reason that lust and pornography is so prevalent today, one reason that lust and pornography is reigning today in such an enormous capacity is because Christ has so little appeal to us because we think that knowing Christ means we give up ourselves when we're here to let you know that if you know Christ, you now live in freedom. So if you think that Christ is here to say, anything goes, you always have grace, whatever you want to do, it's all you, don't worry about it, then you have the wrong understanding. Because of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, we desire to submit to him and say, I want to live according to your will. God, let me find fulfillment in you. And I'll tell you now, if you never open up the Bible and his truth and his word and spend time with him, and yet you're always online and you're always being tempted, if you're allowing yourself to see this all the time with the pornography and the lust, and yet you're never opening up the truth and the love and the power of God, I can tell you who's going to win. First Corinthians 6, 12 through 17. Hear this. This is why we have to find fulfillment in Christ. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Another translation would say, not all things are beneficial. So much of what we're doing today is not beneficial. It says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Continues to talk about sexual 
immorality and food and all kinds of things. Nothing should dominate you. It doesn't matter if it's weed and wine. It doesn't matter if it's sexuality and lust and pornography. It doesn't matter if it's food. It doesn't matter if it's money. It doesn't matter what it is. Nothing should dominate you other than Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit filling your life. Because in that, you know what? Why you think that sounds like, well, why do I only have to live this way? That's actually where freedom is found. Why? Because it doesn't change every day. You don't have to keep going back to try to find more and more and more and more fulfillment. And where am I going to find it now? Because it's never changing. And so we're asking you to find fulfillment in Christ. Second thing we're asking you to do is to allow for accountability. Allow for accountability. Guys, pretty much everybody in here struggled with it before. I know we don't like to talk about it, but we've all struggled with it. And so we want to help you avoid and resist ungodly desire. And so we want, we're asking you to set up systems and preventative measures. 1 Timothy 2.22. 2 uh, Timothy, I'm sorry. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee youthful passions. Pursue righteousness. We want to help you do that. Romans 13.14 says, Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We want to help you leave little room for anything but for God. Some ways that you can do that is... Um, Covenant Eyes, I've mentioned that previously. If you are full-time here on staff, you're required, I just say, listen, you, you're going to be put on Covenant Eyes and all your technology. If you don't know Covenant Eyes, it's a software system that monitors everything you look at. If somebody wants to work here full-time and they say, hey, I'd, I'm, you're not going to do that with me, I'm going to say, well, then you're not going to work here because we know the temptation is real. And for me, we have to protect all that God is doing in this place. We can't allow for it. Like we wanna, if you don't want to be humble enough to say, hey, I know that I'm a sinner, fall short of the glory of God, and you don't want help with making sure that you pursue righteousness, eh. So you've got to be on covenant eyes. Another thing you can do is parental controls. Because if you're handing your child, I say it all the time, if you're handing your child or even as an adult, if you have no monitoring system, even on a phone, what it leads to, it's proven over and over, is seeing images that should not be in our heart, and that just starts to cycle. And you start, all of a sudden, you're the hamster. And if you're going, well, my kid gets upset every time I think about putting parental control on there, take it away then. Be the parent. And you're going to go, well, you don't understand my kid. I'm still going to tell you, be the parent. It's very simple. I'm going to have controls on there. They have, they have a limit on what, how much time they even get on their phone. They're like, hey, and, and they already know. They can complain about it, but that's not going to do well for them. Why? Because I know what it leads to. Other thing is, I'm in, find an accountability partner. You should have people in your life who you are willing to allow them to say, hey, how are you doing with lust and pornography? I mean, maybe we just need to get that out of the way. Like, you've got to shake it off. You look at someone and say, hey, how are you doing with lust and pornography? 
Is there any way I can be praying for you specifically? Some of you are saying, we can't even get that out. And because we can't get that out, we can't then have the conversation of accountability and mentoring and sharpening and encouraging each other the way that we need to. Allow yourself to be seen. Allow yourself to be known. Third, I'm inviting you to fight back. I'm inviting you to fight back, to claim the power of Christ. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says to fix your eyes on Jesus. And so I'm inviting you to fix your eyes on Jesus. One of the greatest ways that we can fight pornography and lust is to live in the word of God more, to memorize scripture so that that saturates and seeps into the cracks and the crevices of our heart. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. And then here comes the key. He says, not in the passion of lust. Not in the passion of lust. It is impacting our Desire to look at transgender issues is impacting homosexuality. It's impacting heterosexual relationships. It's impacting our marriage. It's impacting everything in our life. And what I'm asking you to consider is, are you even doing anything about it? The Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. And it lets you know the depth of the hostility that is there with pornography and sin and lust. And it doesn't stop it. Guys, I'm, I'm not going to go to it just because of time, but... Um, the woman who committed adultery, that's John chapter 8, 1 through 11. So here in John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, here's this woman who committed adultery. The religious leaders bring her before Jesus. And all of a sudden what's taking place is they're wanting her to say kill her, stone her, that kind of thing. And what we find in this very story is that God confronted that sin without a doubt. God came, confronted the sin. But also what we find is that then he gave freedom over the sin. And there is freedom that can be found over the sin of pornography and of lust. There is freedom to be found. You can break the cycle. We have classes that are sometimes even offered here about it. Open yourself up to it. And finally, this is what I'm, I'm, I'd like to invite you to do. I'm going to, the fourth thing on there. Declare Jesus as Lord. One day, one day, everybody in this world is going to stand before Jesus Christ. It's going to happen one of two ways. Either you're going to die and you're going to end up standing before God, or Christ is going to return before you die. Either way, at least it's the same thing. And that's us standing before Christ, before God the Father. When you look at Scripture, 
if we simplify it without dumbing it down, I think what takes place is he's wanting to know if we are fully his. I think that's the real issue when it comes to all the struggles with sin that we have. Again, it can be weed, wine, drinking. Um, It can be food. It can be sexuality, pornography, sex trafficking. It all leads to the same. And you're going, no, it doesn't. Why? Because we always make light of our own sin. (laughs) I need to know, I I need to ask you today, knowing that it's a confession of Jesus Christ that one is saved. It's understanding and giving your heart to Jesus Christ that really makes a difference. I need to ask you if you have fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Have you fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Not some of it. You can't compartmentalize something and hold it for yourself because God through His Son Jesus Christ said, I want all of it. Every bit of it. I don't want a little. I want all of it. And we must stop compartmentalizing that very thing that God wants to set us free from. And too many have said, you know what? I'm going to hide the pornography. I'm going to hide the lust. I'm going to hide the sexual sin. You can't hide it from God. He made you. He knows everything about you. Will you Fully surrender to Jesus Christ and give over the sexuals. Can we see a movement by allowing God to redefine the marriages throughout the entire world? Can we see that? I'm telling you now, if we started to say and identify the sin in our life, the sexual hostility in our life, what would happen is marriages could be restored. Children would have a totally different thing modeled for them. The confusion of sexual identity would start to go away and Jesus Christ would stand on his throne over the entire world and declare his greatness and his freedom and his grace for all people. Have you fully surrendered everything to Jesus Christ? One day he's going to come back. It tells us so clearly, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Let that soak in. And it's because we've said, you know what? I want the salvation, but I'm going to keep all this other stuff for me. It doesn't work that way. Fight back and let us fight with you as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not going to give you a hard time if you struggle with the sin. We're going to say, we're going to look at you and go, huh. So do we. Let's do it together so that we can claim righteousness and holiness before the throne of God. Declare Jesus as Lord. God, I thank you for these friends. I ask that you encourage them. I know that there's so much hostility in the world and so much of the world is encouraging us to stand for ourselves and to stand for our preferences. May we stand for you because we truly believe your ways and thoughts are greater and higher. May we have the courage and the spiritual fortitude, the spiritual tenacity to to call out our weaknesses and to rely on you, to fight back, to allow for accountability, to find our pleasure in knowing you because you are sufficient.
God, thank you for letting us do it together as church. God, I also recognize that the only way that we can really see the ugliness of pornography, the only way we can truly see the the complete horrendous nature of pornography is if we first see the beauty of who you are. May we see the beauty of you as we declare and stand on your truth. In Christ's name.